responsive reading is taken from the epistle of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy in chapter number 6. We'd like to read the first six verses of the chapter responsively. That means I'll read the three even-numbered or three odd-numbered verses. Read with me, please, in unison, verses 2, 4, and 6, if you would, please. And in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand, once again, I invite you to stand. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and reading responsively. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, in the moments that we have to look at thy word this morning, I pray that you might speak to every servant's heart, beginning with the Christian. Lord, if there be those who know not Christ as Savior, we pray for their salvation this morning. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you do what you know, only you can do in our hearts and lives. Now we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. First Timothy 6, verse number 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. The word servants there is the Greek word doulos. It literally means, and in this context it specifically means slaves. As many slaves as are under their masters there's two words for masters in the Greek language. One is used for the Lord Jesus Christ and for earthly lords. It's the word kurios or master. This is not the word kurios. This is the word despotes. We get our word despot from. These are forward. These are cruel and unusual masters. These are slave owners. And I want to deal with the slave issue just out of the gate here, just in one minute here. And we want to look at slaves, masters, and other slaves for all of one minute for time's sake. But the slave question usually in America is reduced to a 17th, 18th century concept, or a context, I should say. We think of the American slave trade. We think of blacks being enslaved by whites. But I want you to know that slavery has been around since the beginning of human history. Blacks have enslaved blacks. Whites have enslaved whites. Asians have enslaved Asians. Mexicans have enslaved Mexicans. Indians have enslaved Indians. And on and on we could go throughout human history. And if you don't know that, you're showing an ignorance of your uh, ability to know history. It's true. And in the first century, when Paul wrote this, uh, he wrote to many Christians that were slaves, were servants. The Roman Empire at this time, it's estimated, had 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire alone. And many of them were Christians, of course. Paul does not, the word of God does not teach here in the, although... 
slavery is a terrible tragedy, it's a terrible injustice. We understand that. The Bible makes implication of that, but nowhere in the scriptures, especially in the Pauline writings in the New Testament, do we see uh, uh, an attempt to abolish slavery. Rather, he was more concerned with the eternal salvation of sinners. Romans 10.1 says that Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. It's more important that you be saved and receive eternal salvation than it is to receive temporal uh, deliverance, emancipation as a slave. We're all we're here today and gone tomorrow, and eternity is forever. But Paul identified himself in two specific occasions, Romans 1.1 1, 1 and Titus 1.1. 1, 1. He said, Paul, a servant, same word, doulos, a slave. Another context, it talks about a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant or slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. I could have developed an entire message on the subject of slavery, but I want to bring it to 2019, bring it up to our modern day. Remember, there's one interpretation of Scripture, but many applications. I want to talk to you slaves this morning, you servants this morning. I'm talking about employees. I want to talk about Christian employees with their non-Christian boss. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have an unsaved boss? Don't raise your hand. Don't want to know about it. How many of you have a saved boss? Don't worry. You don't, well, if you have a saved boss, raise your hand. All three of you. Amen. God bless you. We want to talk about the, a Christian employee, a Christian servant, a Christian slave, call him what you want, and a non-Christian boss, a Christian employee, and a Christian boss. And then thirdly, for time's sake, a Christian employee with their other counterpart employees, as the scriptures tells us. Very practical Bible teaching here in the word of God this morning. Let's begin now in verse number one once more. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters, the word is despots again, their unsaved masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Notice with me, first of all, Roman number one on our worksheet, a Christian employee and their non-Christian boss. First of all, the Bible says that we are to honor them. Bible makes it very clear in First Timothy or First Peter chapter two. You need not turn there. Bible says, "Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." We could say, "Honor the boss." It says in verse number eighteen of First Peter two, "Servants, be subject unto your own masters with all fear." And again, the word is despotes, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, to the mean and the evil ones. This is in a slavery context, not an employee-employer context, but the context is, again, a slave to his or her master. And here the Bible says that to a Christian employee today, fast-forwarding 2,000 years from this time to where we live today in our modern-day world, God says that we are to honor our unsaved, our secular boss. We're not only to honor him, but we're to pray for them. And I ask you a question, let her be on the worksheet. The Bible calls us that we're to pray for all men. First Timothy chapter 2, turn one page back in your Bible. First Timothy 2, we looked at this in regards to leaders last or several weeks ago now. But I exhort, verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, primary, first and foremost, first thing you do, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 
Pray for all men, that includes our bosses. And I ask you the question, if you don't pray for your boss, who will? Now let me let you on a theological truth. You may be here and not receive, have received Christ as your Savior. God hears everything. Behold the eyes of the Lord in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I guess I can't walk away from the mic. But I want you to know that, that God hears all words. Every, he knows the thoughts of our heart. But he honors the prayers of his saints. If I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, 18 says, The Lord will not hear me. There's a division. You see, unsaved people do not have a high priest in Jesus Christ. Point is that if you're an unsafe boss, he or she prays. God hears that prayer, but God doesn't hear that prayer, if you will. He, he, he knows it's real, but he's, he will not intercede for that prayer. He may have mercy on that person, but he hears the prayers of his saints. And so we are to honor our unsaved non-Christian boss. We are to pray for him, but thirdly, we are to submit to them. Now the phrase is back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice verse number 1 as we take apart the verse once again. That as many servants says are under the yoke. That phrase under the yoke. Uh, we were at the Harrington Fair last fall and I saw the, some, some of the horse pools, of course, and uh, the oxen. I didn't see oxen pools. I'm, I'm, I think they had an ox pool. I'm not sure if they did or didn't. But they hook up an ox or a, yoke or a horse to, with another horse or another ox, what have you. And the yoke is a, is, a, is, a, is a yoke of submission. And it's there so that the, the, the beast of burden will go in the direction that they're supposed to go in according to the master. You submit to them, you're to accept the yoke. You can go ahead and amen. If you think you've got a hard job, say amen. You've got a hard occupation that you work at, say Amen. Now, many of you don't have work at a hard place. I got about four amens out of the deal. <laughs> but uh, some of you work harder than others. Some of you have a hard, maybe a hard taskmaster or a hard job, what have you. Maybe it's very physically demanding. Maybe it's very mentally demanding. But the Bible says we are to accept that. You know, God created man to work. Work's not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. It's a God-ordained thing. The Bible says in Lamentations 3 that it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Now I have three, I'll do this quickly, it's not on your worksheet, but submission is a God-ordained thing. God, we see God-ordained thing, or in, in all of God-ordained institutions, we see the act or the command of submission. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, the powers that be are ordained of God. We're to submit to authority, governmental authority in our lives. Marriage, Ephesians 5. Ladies, married wives, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to uh, come down on you. I'm not a misogynist. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves as to your, unto your own husbands as unto the, do you know it? Lord. Lord. Three of you know that answer. <laughs> That's submission. There's God-ordained submission in the marriage relationship. There's God-ordained submission in regards to the governmental relationship. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.1 that children are to obey their parents in the Lord for this is Right? Children are to obey their parents. In the Old Testament, there was a death penalty, capital punishment for those children, in some cases, that cursed or disobeyed their parents. Wow, that would solve, that would solve a lot of ADD problems we've got today in America real quickly here, I think, but that's another subject. Church members, Hebrews 13, 17, another point, are to obey them that have the rule over them, to obey the pastors, seeing that they give an account for their soul. 
and your employees, uh, and yes, employees to your bosses. You are ordained of God. Here the Bible tells us that you are to be in subjection to your master, to your bosses. They're worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Even Jesus Christ was subject to his heavenly father. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so understand this yoke. Understand this burden, this command. We're to honor our bosses. We're to pray for our bosses. In many cases, if we don't pray for them, nobody else will. We're to submit to them. We're to accept the yoke that's given to us. We're to, and we're to letter D, we're to, to work hard for them, work for them. You know, some people just go and they, pardon the proverbial expression, some of you know what I'm talking about, some go and just punch a clock. And other people go and they actually work. And your boss hired you, I promise you, your company hired you to, to produce. I want to give you just real quickly, rapid fire, five, five rules for work. And these are not the only rules, but these are, I think, the five top rules. It could be argued, five top rules for work. Work, work rule number one to, about work. Number one, ready? Go to work. Show up on the job. Be there on time. You know, I said many times, if I was an employer, and in one way I kind of am, I would, a uh, high school kid out of high school, I would probably, I might want to see their transcript, I might want to see their grade, maybe. But what I really want to see is I want to see their attendance record. Did they actually go to school? Were they actually there? Did they actually, how many times were they tardy? Because if they're tardy in their teen years and their, their kid years, they're probably going to tardy in their, in their work years as well. If they didn't go to work, if they were sick a lot, they're probably going to be sick a lot later on. Actually go to work, show up. In fact, I want you to turn quickly, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to see these verses real fast. Go to work, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11. The Bible says, and that ye study to be quiet. Can I give you the Marty Shot translation of what that means? Shut your mouth at work and go to work. Shut up and work. There it is. There's the real, there's the cliff notes. And that's your own, and do your own business. Mind your own business, translation. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Go to 2 Thessalonians, another page or two over. 2 Thessalonians 3, notice verse number 10. First rule of work is go to work. Actually, we'll go to work and actually work. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, can you finish the verse with me? Ready? Neither should he eat. Well, we need some politicians in our country that understand that principle. I don't know if you saw this last week, and you can't make this stuff up. The mayor of Newark, New Jersey, uh, is advocating for, there I go, walking away from the pulpit, is advocating for universal. Basic uh, income. Give everybody, every adult in the city, state, the city of New York, Newark $1,000 whether they work or not. God says, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. You say, boy, that's harsh. That would solve a problem very fast if people learned that they have to eat. Or they, have to, if they like to eat, they learn how to work. That would be a good thing. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. I wish I could preach here right now, about now, but rule number one, I said I'd be quick. Go to work. Number two, listen to your boss. There's the revelation. Do what the boss says. Servants, Colossians 3.22, obey in all things to your master according to the flesh. 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. I know you've never done it, but your coworkers do it all the time probably, where they question the authority, they question the boss. And they say, I don't like to do it. You know, you know they all have a worker, a coworker that does that all the time, right? They question the boss and they say, I like to do it this way. Did you notice if they, they keep questioning the boss over and over and over again, eventually they're not working for that boss after a while? Did you notice how that works? There's a, learn to listen to your boss. Number three, do your very Oh, you read my notes. Do your very best, Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I think of Joseph in prison there in the book of Genesis. He was wrongfully imprisoned. Many of you know the story. Falsely accused in the depths of the prison, but he decided he would work as hard as he could because he was a servant of Jehovah God. And he worked as hard as he could, and he was promoted to the head of the prison. And many of you know the story, of course. Do your very best. You're called to do that. Number four, very practical. Don't rob your employer. Romans 13, 7 and 8. The Bible says, there, render therefore to all their dues. Customer who tribute to whom tribute is due. Customer who custom is due. And then it says, owe no man anything. Don't cheat your employer. Don't rob from your place of employment. And then, and by the way, this shouldn't have to be said to Christians. We should know this stuff already. But you know what? I'm afraid we've been taught in a different vernacular, different world system where it's take all you can get, take, get all you can take, and take all you can get. And if you can get one over on your boss or your rich employer or your corporation, do it. It's called lying, cheating, stealing. Thou shalt not steal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So... Do your very best. Don't rob your employer. Number five, I like this point here. I've used it many times. But the goal of the corporation, the goal of your business is not to make you rich. It's the goal of your corporation for you to make them rich. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I got one amen out of that. We have been having an attack on corporations. We've been having an attack on so-called rich people and businesses. Listen, I work for a very rich boss. In fact, he's the richest boss in all the world. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. I'd rather work for a rich man than a poor man any day of the year. If you notice, poor men don't hire other men. We work for rich people, and we, our goal is to make your company, your business profitable, make your, your company rich, and make them money. You say, that's capitalistic. Yes, thank you, that's what it is. It's called free market capitalism. That's why people go into business and we get rid of capitalism and we get socialism and translation we get Venezuela is what we get. We don't want that. So what, how's the Christian employee? Let's finish the verse back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. We have to move on. One more time. Let as many servants as are under the yoke, honor them, pray for them, submit to them, count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God in, their, in his doctrine be not blasphemed. Work hard. Go to work. Listen to your boss. Do your best. Don't rob your employer and make as much money for them as you possibly can. But I want you to notice verse number two now. And, as, and they that have believing masters. Now think about this. Let's go back for just one moment to our introduction. In the context, there were slaves and some were Christian slaves. And some had... Christian masters. You say, that's wrong. 
I didn't say it wasn't wrong. It's wrong. But in the context, Paul was talking to people that lived it every day of their lives. And he said, listen, on Sunday you go and worship with your master, the same Lord. But on Monday you go back and the, 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 the hats change. And you're the worker. And by the way, life is not fair. Get over it. Not everybody can be a CEO. Not everybody can be a boss. Not everybody is born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Not everybody has everything handed to them on a silver platter. And some of those people that supposedly had it handed to them on a silver platter, I think if you went back and investigated, you'd find out they worked very hard to get that silver platter. That was good preaching, by the way. Thank you, Pastor. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Just wanted to give myself an amen when nobody else would. Okay. But I want you to notice two things here about Christian employers and their Christian bosses. The Bible says, verse number two, let them, that is, let the, the, the servant, the slave, with the believing master, let them not despise them. That's the Bible command. Don't despise them. That word despise means to think, think down upon them or to think slightingly upon, them, or upon someone. Well, they, they, they got it made. They got all the money. They get, uh, they, I do all the work and they get all the pay. Jealousy is not a Christian virtue. Envy, greed is not a Christian virtue, as these verses ahead of us tell us. So respect them. Don't despise them. Number two, look at the rest of the verse, or the middle part of the verse of verse two. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather, here's the phrase, do them service. Don't denigrate them. Do them service. Don't uh, demand saying, hey, we're brethren, we're on equal ground, we need you to share with me the bounty and the wealth and so forth. And I, I'm on equal footing with you and, and I'm a Christian too and you should just give me everything that you've done. I've seen this happen, and let me meddle for just a moment. I've seen where Christian bosses in their good graces have hired other Christians. And this is a shame and I ain't even going to walk away from the pulpit because this is embarrassing. But if you work hard for a despot, if you work hard for an unsaved boss, shouldn't you work just as hard for a saved boss? Absolutely. Maybe if possible, harder, if I can use that language. At least as hard, for sure. And not expect any more or any less than you get from the despot. So don't denigrate them. Don't cut them down. Don't, don't destroy them. Don't, don't badmouth them. Don't uh, get angst or, uh, jealous or envious or critical or bitter in your spirit. You should slave for your boss. Be a slave for your boss. Make your boss look good. So you need to respect them. But then notice verse number two, again, the middle part of the verse. Let them not despise them because they are brethren. Notice the Bible says we are to reward them. Why? Because my believing boss is, first of all, my brother. He's my brother or sister in Christ. He might have a lady boss, a Christian boss. He might have a man boss. But if they're a brother in Christ, they're a brother beloved. In Philippians, Philemon rather, just one chapter to Philemon, it's the story of Onesimus. He was a Christian, excuse me, the story of Philemon. Philemon was a Christian who was a slave owner. He said, hey, that's not right. I didn't say it was right. I said he was a slave owner. And he owned a slave, and his slave ran away. And you know the story, many of you have read the little book of 
Philemon. Onesimus ran away and Paul discovered him. He found, was found worshiping in the house of God and Paul did an investigation and found out he ran from his master. Paul interceded in the story. It's a beautiful story. Paul starts off in flipping Philemon 1, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Philemon, the slave owner, was also a Christian, and he was dearly beloved. He was a brother in Christ. Later on in verse 16 of the same little book, Paul says, not, as, uh, not now as a servant, but as a servant, a brother beloved, he was speaking of Onesimus, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so that unsaved boss were to pray for them like we were to honor them, or just like we were to say honor and pray for our saved boss and our saved counterpart. He's our, my brother. But not only is he my brother, but then the Bible goes on to say verse 2 again, because they are faithful and beloved. We are to reward them because my believing boss is not only my brother, but he is beloved. He's loved of the Lord. Hey, here's a theological truth. And I've said it many times. I'm as loved as anybody that's ever been a child of God has ever been loved by my, my Heavenly Father and by my Savior. I'm loved as much as Paul's loved. And I feel like I'm loved more than you're loved. But really, I'm not. Really, the fact of the matter is, if you're a child of God, you are loved as much as any other child of God. And, you're, and you're, your other counterpart, whether it be a boss or an employee or a friend or whatever, that's saved, they're loved by the same Lord with the same love that he loves you with. And so we reward them because we honor them because they're our brother. They're, we're, they're beloved. They're beloved of the Lord as much as we're beloved of the Lord. And then it's, and the verse finishes with this little phrase. Partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. We reward them, that is our bosses, because my believing boss is my brother. He's, my, he's beloved, but he's is, is benefited in him, him and yourself. In other words, when you are good to your boss and you work for your boss, you're, he's benefited or she's benefited. Not only is he or she benefited, but more than likely, you're going to be benefited. You're going to be blessed. For the most part, good things happen to faithful people. And if you're faithful at work, you'll be surprised what God, well, over time, Joseph wasn't delivered from prison immediately, but over time, over two years, remember the baker forgot about him. Many of you know the story, or the butler forgot about him. Two years later, he remembered him. And as they say, the rest is history. Joseph's exalted because he was faithful as a slave in the prison. Well, that leads us to verses 3 to 6, and we will not be long this morning here, but notice verse number 3 here. Notice the Christian employees, or a Christian employee with other employees, whether Christian or non-Christian. In most cases here, maybe you're non-Christian employees. How should you act and respond? Well, verses 3 to 6 tell us. Verse number 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, the teaching, which is according to godliness. Now we'll continue on. The sentence continues on, of course. But write down this for letter A here. Fill in the blanks for these words. Use your words. The Bible says we're to use wholesome words, words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so use your words to build up. 
not to tear down. We live in a ladder-climbing society in the work world, and dog eat dog, and make your, make your fellow employee look bad. God says, make your fellow employee speak words that are wholesome, speak words that are good. Make your, employee, your fellow employee look good. That's what God says. Keep a good Christian testimony that the word of God be not blasphemed. How many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you have that, that annoying, that obnoxious, we got hands raising already. We got that annoying, obnoxious, that, that, uh, that lazy, shiftless, and on and on I could go with adjectives describing your fellow work employee that you work and they, you do all the work and they get all the credit. How many have, don't raise your hand, how many have somebody like that in your life? Hands are still going up. <laughs> we all do if you work any length of time. But God says, he says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, let our words be apples of gold and pitchers of silver. A word fitly spoken is so powerful. Build up, don't tear down. Help, don't hurt. Then verse number four, it says these words, he is proud. God's describing the person that doesn't have these wholesome words, these words of building up, but uses words of tearing down others. You all know somebody like that. You don't never do it, but I know you know somebody that doesn't. They tear down other people constantly, trying to make themselves look good. The Bible says he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Some of you, again, work is not a pleasant place to be at. It should be. You can help create the right environment. But let her be. Don't be a complainer about the bad. There's always something you can complain about at work. Something, there's no perfect church, something you can complain about church, something you can complain about your family. You can always find something rotten, something wrong, something going haywire, something that's not up to par, something that could be done better. Don't be a complainer about the bad, but a complimenter of the good. Figure out how you can improve. Anybody can critique. Destruction is very easy. Construction takes effort and hard work and, and intelligence and uh, self-control. So important that we learn these principles. The Bible says, Philippians 4, verse 8, what sort of things are good, what sort of things are honest, if any things are just, or what sort of things are good reported, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Bring a healthy environment to your work atmosphere. After all, we're Christians, and we're not to have the name of God blasphemed. Verse number 5. It continues on in the, those that don't have wholesome words. It says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, garbage in, by the way, garbage out, and destitute of the truth, devoid of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Notice number, letter C. By the way, before I give you the point, how many hope that you go into work tomorrow, be honest, and hope your boss gives you a raise? Raise your hand. The rest of you are liars! I can't believe you people. Who doesn't want to raise? Everybody wants to raise. You know, what's to take to make a rich man happy? Just a little bit more than he already has, right? We all want to raise, of course. But look what the Bible says. It says, From such withdraw thyself, supposing that gain is godliness. Let her see on the worksheet. Be content about your wages. 
Hey, we were, I just got to do this quickly. I, I have a lot of criticism. I'm not following verse 3 like I should sometimes about the state of Connecticut that we live in. But I just did a 10-state tour uh, on Sunday. We left two weeks ago, went to see my dad in Ohio, and then we went down from Ohio. We did a big 1,500-mile triangle. Went down through Pittsburgh and, and uh, into, touched Maryland and into uh, West Virginia, excuse me, just the tip of West Virginia and into Maryland and into Virginia and then down to see my kids down in Virginia and then back up. And actually we went to North Carolina the next day with them for, and near Camp Lachoon. And I'll be careful here. And it's a beautiful state. It's a beautiful country here. But, but uh, most of us live in pretty nice houses. And I saw just a pinch, just a little bit of Appalachia, sometimes it's called. And I'm not, again, I have to be careful here. If you're living in a house trailer, God bless you. I know we've got some folks that live in house trailers. <laughs> but some, I saw some pretty feeble houses. And I got to thinking, you know what? There's a lot of evil, a lot of things that are wrong about Connecticut, I suppose. But I'm glad I live here for some material reasons as well as some, some uh, other reasons as well, spiritual reasons and the call of God. But I've been blessed and you've been blessed. And be content with our wages. So important that is. Then verse number 6. Now don't turn me off here. I'll be done in just a few minutes here. But look at verse 6. In fact, it's a great verse. It's an ending verse. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. Two times. Ready? But godliness with contentment is great gain. One more time. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We may not be the richest people in the world. Paul talked to a bunch of slaves that happened to be Christians. And they probably, many of them would die as slaves. Some would be executed. Some would die never knowing human freedom. But he says, I want you to be content with godliness. Don't worry about your wages. And so, letter D on the worksheet, be holy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be holy. Be happy. Nobody wants to be around a grump. Be helpful. That's what a good employer, a good servant is supposed to be. Holy, happy, helpful. Let us be earthly people with a heavenly walk. Now, stay with me. I'm almost done. And now we're running out of room on the worksheet here. But I want to give you two central life paths, two central life principles from this passage of scripture. Just two of them. Really, four words, two, two in each principle. But I got a short sentence, and then two words you'll understand in a moment. Number one, central life principle number one we learn from these verses of scripture. And that is that God's name never should be slandered by, as a result of our actions. God's name should never be slandered. If that's a Christian, if that's a believer in Christ, that the name of God be not blasphemed, verse number one says. There, there should be no negatives. Somebody should be able to look at you and say, that person is a shiftless, he's a jealous, he's a... He's not a pleasant person to work with. That should never be named once by the, the, the servants of Christ. No negatives. Let your speech be always seasoned with grace. Work hard that there be nothing to apprehend or nothing to accuse you falsely of and blessing in the name of God. So life principle number one, that God's name never be slandered by our actions. No negatives. But life principle number two, that Christ may always be exalted by our actions. In other words, the best worker that your boss should have should be you. The best workers that employees ought to have should be Christians. We are, to, we are on the mission field. God's called us. Your occupation may be 
your job, but it's more than that. It's, meant to, it's your life calling to be there and to be a witness of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One day, there's slaves that are going to be Christian slaves that Paul was writing to in this first century context that had unbelieving or rather believe, unbelieving masters, some and some had saved masters. But I want you to know that in heaven, those Christians that were found faithful, those slave Christians that were found faithful, they're going to receive exceeding greater reward than in many cases they're saved, even bosses will, because they, were, they, lived, they decided that godliness with contentment is great gain. They were content with what they had and what God had blessed them with. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, these last couple of Sundays have been very teaching-type messages. We talked about widows last week, Lord, and I suppose it could be considered a mundane subject. Lord, certainly this subject this morning is not an exciting subject, a subject of servants or slaves or work. Yet, Lord, you've called us to a lifetime of work. And, Lord, we're not all going to have our name in lights. In fact, probably none of us here will have our name in the proverbial lights on this earth. Lord, none of us here consider ourselves rich, and I don't think we have any CEOs of major corporations or, uh, Lord, we have some independent workers and some folks have been blessed, but, Lord, help us in whatever case and lot in life that we're in. If we're an employer or an employee, then we might be the best employee we can be. If we're an employer, maybe we'd be the best employer we can be to our employees. Bless in our moments of reflection and invitation. And Lord, if there be those who need to receive Christ as Savior today, Lord, before this day is out, before even this service is out, Lord, I pray for salvation that might come to their hearts and minds in their, and they may call upon Christ to save them, we pray. We pray bless down in these moments of invitation. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's all stand together. 155 in the hymn.